Hey everyone, John and Andrew here. Welcome to the podcast. On today's episode, calling in the wolf, the long slow bleed, and feeling the relief. This is Obstacle Course. Here we go. The long slow bleed. Yeah, <laughs> it's fairly intense when you just <laughs> throw that in there. And but say um, it like that, yeah. yeah, it doesn't actually, this isn't a per- particularly graphic episode. No, no. But um, you'll you'll find out it. We had uh, Benji Hauser on, who is a debt relief specialist with a, a company called Four Pillars in Victoria here, um, and he talks about his own experiences with the the long slow bleed in in the demise of his own small business. Yeah, and a lot of the discussion, like because before Benji became a financial specialist, he was out like surfing and snowboarding most of the time. Yeah, he dabbled in some other things too. But Benji's very familiar with risk. Yep. And, and so uh, the long, slow bleed that he talks about is when uh, really the shit hit the fan in his own personal and financial life uh, right around 2008. Yeah. And uh, at that time, he, he gleaned some lessons that would end up really saving him um, along the way. And, and actually now he shares those lessons with us. Yeah, it's, it's great. It's a, a super um, it's an episode about debt, which is a pretty heavy topic. And it, 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 it literally weighs on. A lot of people, oh, sure. if not the vast majority of the population, um, but that doesn't make this episode weighty at all. Like Ben Benji, his attitude and, and outlook is great. Um, you know, we're generally fairly positive and upbeat people too. If you aren't familiar with us, but if you're <laughs> listening to this, you probably are. Um, but yeah, it's it's a pretty light episode talking about debt and, and struggles, and it's a very relevant one because of our financial um, and global crisis we're we're in here in the in the middle of May in in 2020. Um, but one of the great things that Benji talked about was finding opportunities in in failure or challenges. Um, which brings me to a question you we you mentioned that you tried to learn how to surf. <laughs> um, which Benji is he's quite good at these things but he also talked about how hard it is to learn oh my god but gosh. John you've you've dabbled in surfing when I say dabbled in surfing I took one lesson one time on a trip to Tofino okay so yeah um, the reason I took it was because when you watch someone surf you're like that actually doesn't look too hard I mean mm-hmm. I'm not talking about the hundred foot waves where they're in like the barrel um, I'm talking about just like standing on a board yeah um, and I just thought you know what I've, I've been an athlete my whole life I'm in decent shape it should be easy and so I paid the whatever it was the hundred bucks at, in Tofino took some surfing lessons and I spent about four hours just trying to get up on the board yeah and at one point I was up for like five seconds and thought I was like you know Lard Hamilton <laughs> and next thing you know a, a wave that was about as big as my you know up to my knees knocked, knocked me down <laughs> and I was like well I just spent an hour trying to get up so I'm not doing this again <laughs> Yeah. And it was exhausting. I, I remember like, it's probably the most exhausting sort of sport I've ever tried to learn. Mm-hmm. You don't realize because the whole time you're trying to get up, you're getting hit by the waves and you're getting pulled by the currents, which is a bit of an analogy for finance. Totally. To be honest. Totally. <laughs> and, I mean, it, it shows that people who get good at surfing aren't oh aren't gosh. just like aren't born that way. Oh, they, my God. They are trained to be resilient by yeah. continuing to get back up and get back up and get back up. And I mean, it, it's the same with, with a lot of things that that you learn and, and you don't just start being good at them, but, but surfing in particular, like you're just trying not to drown or get smoked in the back of the head by a wave or like get your head bounced off of like the sand. And all of those things have happened to me and I haven't got to the point where I'm adept at, at any of them and snowboarding. That's the whole nother story, which we won't go into now, but I lacerated my kidney snowboarding. Oh my um, gosh, really? And ended up in a couple of days in the hospital. Um, I've not heard that story. No, it was, oh my gosh. It was awful. That um, must have been awful. Yeah, it was, it was intense pain. Um, but I, I have snowboarded once since then. So, you know, I'm somewhat able to get back on the board. But, you know, Andrew, we want to make this short, but I want to end by sort of putting you on the hot seat. But it's a good thing. Like, you haven't lacerated a financial kidney, though. No. From from what I've known. Uh, what I know of you, actually, is you don't you don't typically carry a lot of debt. It's true, um, and, and I don't. I don't think you mind sharing with the folks your net worth right now. But okay, <laughs> we'll, we'll, we'll stay away from that. But but I know you don't carry a lot of debt. Like you don't. You don't really. You know. I know you don't have a bunch of credit cards maxed out. Uh, you were able to buy a house at quite a young age. What do you think are a couple of the secrets to that that have kept you out of debt? Yeah, and and I, um, I want to be aware of the fact that there's there's going to be people listening to this who are struggling with debt, and, and mm-hmm. we get into this a lot, and and just because. People get into financial hardships doesn't mean they're uh, they made horrible choices no, or no, no. or they're 
less than or whatever. There's it's lots just, of factors. Yeah, there's, there's stuff that's in within and out of our control. But but one huge thing that that especially having a business now is just being as lean as possible in, in terms of just figuring out what expenses aren't necessary and, and not going that route. And, and at, at the same time, that can mean that you miss opportunities maybe. But I just really think, especially with what's happened to my business and uh, to a lot of businesses with COVID, if you can avoid unnecessary expenses, um, if you can live a little bit meagerly, you know, not have the nicest things, not have the nicest car, not always buy new clothes. Um, you know, you're probably going to be in a in a bit of a healthier situation when unforeseen circumstances arise. And and I'm no professional. Benji's going to speak to that a lot better. But um, you asked, and that's that's kind of how I've uh, been able to avoid debt thus far. No, for sure. And the reason I asked actually is because everyone's going to assume that the financial professional, you know, knows how to you know balance his books. But not everyone's going to assume that the podcast host has got his shit together. But you do, and I think it's worth saying. And so it is possible, listeners, for, for the everyday person who's not a financial whiz to actually stay out of debt. Mm-hmm. And that, that even gives me hope as your, as your, as your co-host. And so <laughs> um, it can happen with all of us, and it might start with something Benji talked about with making a list of your needs and wants. Yeah. And I think really ultimately that's what it comes down to is a lot of us think you know our wants are our needs, but they really aren't. We don't all need a $40,000 truck, as Benji attested to. You know, we can get by with a nice little Civic. And uh, and yeah, it's just really, you know, changing our mindset to being okay with, with um, you know, getting by with what we need. Absolutely. Well said. Enjoy this episode, everybody. It's, uh, it's a fun one and, and a relevant one in, in our current situation. Welcome. Benji Hauser to Obstacle Course. We're, we're thrilled to have you on and, and thanks for making the time today. Thanks guys for having me on. I'm excited to do this. Yeah. Well, and Benji, Andrew doesn't know this, but I'm kind of pissed at you. And, and so th- <laughs> this is why. Okay. Like about, about an hour ago, I'm headed to the studio. Folks, you probably know I live in Duncan. So I'm, I'm driving through Victoria and I hear a little beep beep on my phone. Right. And so I look down and I'm like, oh, it's an email from Benji. I better get this. Right. It might have to do with today's <laughs> recording. And so I look and I see, John, I didn't get the Zoom invite. And I was like, oh, shit. And this was all within about 10 seconds. So I responded real quickly and I was like, it should be there in about 10 minutes. It's, I put down the phone. I looked up and there's a policeman in front of me pointing, <laughs> like standing in front of me, like standing, <laughs> no, not in a car, standing in front of me, pointing to this parking lot, like, okay, time to pull Uh-oh. over. And I was like, oh, seen that yeah and so i pull over he comes over and he's like uh i'm and i just like did the whole like what i have no idea why you stopped me i wasn't speeding i haven't been drinking like well why else would you stop me and he's like sir you were on your cell phone and and i was like well full, full disclosure i said the cell phone was in like my you know coffee you know section of my car um i kind of barely looked at it um and he's like it doesn't matter if you touch your cell phone while driving then um it's a you know, whatever, a felony. I don't know if it's a felony. I don't think it's a felony. <laughs> so John's actually doing this from behind bars. Uh, he's yeah. recording. I'm not even in the room right yeah. now. <laughs> yeah. but, but, you know, f- yeah. make, a, make a fast story, you know, to, to make, a sh- make it go quick here, quickly. Yeah, oh, totally. God. What well am I trying said. to say? Well said. To make a long story short. I- I'm, still, I'm still reeling because of the price. But anyways, 350 bucks, Benji. $350 <laughs> okay. ticket because you're like, I don't have the Zoom invite. And so, um, yeah, th- thanks for that. It's a nice, Benji. nice way to nice way to welcome our guest today. But I'm kind of b- blaming Andrew too because yeah. he, he could have sent it a lot earlier today, and then I he would have owed 350 bucks. So, mm-hmm. but you know, folks, learn yeah, from my Andrew. experience. <laughs> learn from my experience. You're not even allowed to touch your cell phone. Yeah. All right. I know it's like a habit, and you know you feel a little vibrate, and you're like, oh, what's going on? Don't even touch it. They're out there, and uh-huh. you'll be 350 dollars lighter. Yeah. I'll get you one of those holders for your dash. That could be my gift to you. Yes. I think then it's legal. If it's up on your dash, you can touch it like a stereo. That is true. And he did yeah. say that because I did ask well, him a whole bunch of other questions. But he was a nice well, guy, but, you know, whatever. Full disclosure, I've had uh, two stereo-related accidents in my life. <laughs> okay. Really? Let's, let's hear. <laughs> Just from adjusting the stereo. <laughs> <laughs> I've only been in two collisions in my life in university. They were both in university and both times I was distracted by the stereo. Oh my <laughs> yeah. wow. CD players were terrible. Yeah. Switch all those discs around, fumble them. They skip a lot. And so we're, you, you hit another vehicle or you didn't run over a cyclist? Yes. Or anything, did you? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no
no, no. Because that could have been died. Andrew. Everyone was, everyone was okay, just my car got wrecked. <laughs> this is getting way off track. Yeah, okay. yeah. Well, welcome to Obstacle Course. <laughs> so, and my role here is to bring it back on track. So um, what, what we actually came on today, I mean, wasn't just for John to throw blame around. but no, um, but I feel better now. <laughs> good. <laughs> I mean, part of it's that, is for everybody feeling good after, after we finish. But um, you are, as we know, uh, a debt relief specialist with four pillars and and you help people in uh extreme financial circumstances like losing money uh, <laughs> just unexpectedly so it relates Tickets, whatever yeah um but uh you're also here to share your own story and um i think one of the places w- that we were going to start um maybe just explain a little bit about what you do at four pillars and then we'll kind of bounce back in time and, and figure out how you ended up where you are now so what what is the purpose, the essence of, of Four Pillars? Yeah, I like to say it like the, I don't, this might be getting dating myself here, but the Pulp Fiction movie, remember there's a guy in oh. there, the wolf, and he just comes in and he, and he fixes messes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He Pulp- fixes problems. He's like, I'm the wolf. I fix problems. Yeah. That's Harvey how Keitel. I think of myself. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's what we do. We fix problems. That's cool. The, our entire service is we come in, figure out what the problem is, and fix it. Not, not to go too far down this rabbit hole because we just spend our our first few minutes in the middle of a rabbit hole, but um, have you ever gotten a call like the wolf where there's like a body in the, in the back of the car? Cause you went over, <laughs> some, someone went over, went over a speed bump with a gun in their hand. Thank goodness. No. <laughs> and my contract gives me the right to exit. If somebody's doing anything illegal. So okay. I, uh, <laughs> okay. Good. Pulp fiction is maybe my favorite movie of all time. So I, I appreciate the reference very much. Um, <laughs> yeah, the wolf. Yeah. So, so Benji, obviously, there's there's a lot of uh, people and, and organizations that help with financial problems. What is say one or two things that you think distinguishes Four Pillars from from the rest of people yeah. who offer that kind of help? Thanks. Yeah. Good. Specifically, we only help people out of debt, so we don't do investment planning or we don't do ins- issue insurance. We're not. We don't do anything except. Our main focus is help people fix a debt problem. So help them get it, guide them to get out of debt, help them fix their credit. Just specifically that. And what makes us uh, extremely unique in this market is the bulk of the players in the debt, I call it the debt relief industry. Uh, the bulk of the players have some sort of duty to um, the creditor, meaning the bank. Right. And uh, so either a fiduciary duty, a financial duty, or just uh, basically, or, or they are the bank. And so what makes Four Pillars unique is we aren't the bank. We don't represent the bank. We don't represent the creditors. The creditors in this world is anyone you owe money to is a creditor. I, I throw around terms too quickly and forget that people might not know what it means. So a creditor is someone you owe money to. That's it. And so uh, most of the players in this field work for the creditors, actually, if you kind of get into the guts of how they get paid and how they're called, how their stuff works. So ours is we work for the client only. We represent the client. We, we sit down with the client and we only work on their side. That's, that's what makes us different. Awesome. And we'll, we'll dig back into that a little bit later on and, and we'll kind of talk about debt as, uh, as one of our, our plagues of our existence. And, and really the, the <laughs> fact that debtors, I mean, this, it goes back since the creation of money that, that debt was a huge issue for people. And, and um, we'll, we'll get into that a little bit later um, as to some reasons why and then how we can relieve ourselves. And, and I, I've already noticed there's a, a message behind you saying there is life after debt. And we'll, we'll, <laughs> we'll talk about that. But um, let's, let's kind of go into how you began in this industry and, and, and what came before it for you. What, what, prepped you for for doing the work that you do now sure i always joke with my clients that the way you get into this industry is you screw up your own finances and that's uh, usually your introduction <laughs> to helping other people <laughs> face messes yeah yeah so that's quite you know quite frankly how it happened for me i was a science grad i studied science in the university of calgary and i i, I found science fascinating uh, to study and then i got out into the science world and i found it less fascinating to do and uh, I started kind of winging it in the entrepreneur world with uh, no experience just kind of trying out some businesses on the side and then I ended up just literally stepping away from my job and going out and starting my own business and just really going for it and it was a pretty big risk and it 
that particular one didn't really pay off, but it was uh, it was a good journey. So what was I, that? I remember my boss's uh, the look on my boss's face. My, I think my <laughs> wife was pregnant at the time, and I, I, when I gave him my two week notice, he's like, "Oh, where are you going? Or did you get a better job offer?" I'm like, "No, no job offer." He's like, "Well, what are you gonna do?" I'm like, "I'm gonna snowboard work for myself, be an entrepreneur." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, snowboard. He's just like, "What?" <laughs> just I just heard the look on his face. An image burned in my mind. It just was—it was a look of surprise, maybe a tiny bit of jealousy, and just confusion. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Okay, I've, I've got a few questions about that ex- that circumstance and, and where you were at then. So, um, what was the job that you were leaving, and then what was the um, what was the new career, the entrepreneurship idea? Yeah, I was working for an oil company, and I was doing you know science for them. Geology was my trade, and uh, it was a good. It was a good gig. It paid really, really well. And I have a lot of friends still in it. And it, it's actually a cool career. And I, I did like a lot of parts of it, but there was just some itchy, I don't know, I had the entrepreneur itch and I just had to scratch that and I didn't want to wait. <laughs> and so I got into real estate and real estate's a big open term. So w- what we were doing at the time was we had a kind of a blend of rental properties. We were flipping properties, renovating properties, and um, and we started construction on two kind of high-end homes. So, and that was re- the one that really hurt us. So uh, I think we actually were doing quite well. We had uh, six or I think six properties at the time. It was 2007 or eight around there. And uh, yeah, so that's what I went into, real estate. And then uh, 2007, eight came along, which is the next part of the story. I was just going to say that. Mm, 2008, <laughs> that's familiar. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, but before we get into the, into the crash that and the inevitable demise of the <laughs> the business um what on earth gave you the confidence and even interest in going from a, a very sciencey um role being involved in in the oil industry to real estate where there doesn't seem to be really any parallels so um where, where did you find that inspiration and, and confidence to to make that leap yeah, I was, I was open to anything. I really just wanted to uh, run my own business, and I, I'd contemplated doing that in the oil industry. Or, but it's like the barrier to entry is so extreme. I mean, you're looking at like millions to start a little oil company, and I wasn't super passionate about it either. So, I don't know. Real estate was fascinating. My wife was a realtor and uh, interior designer, and had lots of experience in that. And um, we just, we, I just had a, we liked it. I think that was the main thing. It was interesting. It was kind of fun and uh yeah that's i I don't fully understand why (laughs) that's the path that i went on what gave me the confidence to do it i'm not sure maybe uh blind um maybe a little i mean a little bit was foolish i suppose but um you know it it just depends on how things go if uh, if the market had gone the other way everybody you'd be interviewing me on the show how did i become a millionaire before i was 30 (laughs) and that i was on path for that so I, I just really went for it. I think I took a few courses in real estate. That's that's how I got my um, foot in the door with real estate is I took a couple classes on how to buy commercial properties and flip them and this and that. And how to do creative financing, which is what created some of this problem. Well, and I think what lies at the heart of Andrew's question is really the heart of the question for every entrepreneur, which mm-hmm. is why leave the world of security and what's known and somebody mm-hmm. else taking care of you to go out on your own, risk it all, for you know mm-hmm. what you know and you called it an itch that, that makes it like a and, and that, that's you know aptly aptly said because it is kind of an itch it's like you can't not mm-hmm. do it so mm-hmm. even even though there's like you're risking a lot there's risk but but um but you still you still have to do it it's almost like you can't not do it and, and i think mm-hmm. every entrepreneur understands that and so we're all entrepreneurs here today and so perhaps yeah. perhaps spending a bit of time on that itch, like where where does that itch come from? Is it is it our sense of wanting to make our own individual mark on the world? Is it just we like to be risky? I know you're a big snowboarder, mm-hmm. Benji, and you like to engage in stuff like that. Is it part of that? Um, I don't know. What, what do I, you think? I, yeah, I, f- I feel like it's directly related to I, I didn't feel like the work reward ratios were there really well in the corporate world. So I was working for a big corporation, which I won't name, and they're they're perfectly fine. But I went. I remember I just was not happy doing the base job, and I really wanted to know like how do I do something more exciting and interesting and get up the uh, you know the 
totem pole here quickly. I went and talked to my senior manager and I was like, how do I just get into management? Because this is I don't like doing the science part. And he mapped out a plan and he's like, okay, basically you need to go over to accounting for you know five years and then you need to go over to engineering for three or four years and then you need to go to PP&E for this and this department for that. And I was, he mapped it all out for me. And I just remember taking it back to my office. I was just like... Screw that. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll be 47 not, years old and miserable. Yeah, it, was, it was really clear to me. I just remember that was really clear. That is not my path. Like that's his path. That's how he got there. And I, I don't know. It just doesn't work. I ripped it up. I threw it away and <laughs> went the other way. Yeah. And it's a brilliant observation. The That was his path and not your path because that yeah. that is what people do all the time is follow someone else's dream or path to success and then they're halfway on it and you find out that like this is i'm miserable this is not what was meant for me and, it, and it's because it's not your own and i can't remember where i heard it exactly but i there was an expression that i heard recently that was you know you only know that you're on your own path when when you're having to like bushwhack your way through it because nobody's carved it out before you yeah that's great um yeah so I, I think a little bit about um, the, the question that you asked, John, about um, how, scratching the itch and, and entrepreneurship and, and why do we do it? And I think even just relating back to, to, say, snowboarding for you, Benji, is sometimes to be able to make those big jumps, those, those leaps into the unknown and taking risks, you need to have exercised a little bit of that risk-taking uh, mentality and and muscle a few times before you take a huge risk like that so if if you're somebody who snowboards and you know you maybe you you go down runs that are a little bit intense or and you work up to them that's actually kind of building that that courage muscle and it's it's working out those um those ideas and, and building that confidence so that when it becomes time to take a big risk or or to take a leap into the unknown you've you've done a little bit of that work already even if it's something that's not related and it's something that everyone out there listening can can do and and can relate to because it's not just about you know entrepreneurs don't just wake up one day and say i'm going to drop everything and and start something completely new never having done anything like that before they they take little risks they don't mind going into the unknown and that's what sets them up well andrew and and i know i know benji's story a little bit and he's told me he's he's separated his shoulder and broken more bones over over his uh over his snowboarding career than ever and so like he's familiar with pain which really sets him up to be an entrepreneur (laughs) yeah (laughs) i also i'm from saskatchewan i never mentioned that which is really far from the ocean and for some reason i really fell in love with surfing that was really my main passion surfing first then snowboarding but i had to go on these trips super far away to go surfing so you know and surfing is extremely difficult sport to learn it takes forever and oh, it, yeah. it is the brutal bushwhack uphill every time i go out i feel like this is a bushwhack like your <laughs> yeah. reference there and it, the the improvements are so subtle and they take forever and i, I think it's it's an interesting analogy to the entrepreneurial life it, it is an uphill battle but i can look back now at, at my surfing ability and think you know okay yeah i have gone somewhere I've, improved at this and it's fun there's a lot of joy in that so same with all the the stress and uh risk of getting into entrepreneurship it, it's worth it but it's not easy well and just the and, word balance uh, right balance is so crucial in surfing and, and snowboarding mm-hmm. and entrepreneurship and when, when things get out of balance especially financially um you're gonna wipe out mm-hmm. <laughs> take one in the face <laughs> Yeah, the the term that jumps out at me, or it's, it's a little cliche. I, I'm sure you guys have heard this before, but it's fail forward fast. Have you guys heard that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I kind of had that whenever I had a mess up in entrepreneurship. I just kept that in mind. And it, that's a good one, though. Totally. It, it's true. You learn the most from your failures, which is kind of what we'll talk about next, probably. Yeah, and, and it's kind of the nucleus of, of the podcast as well as when, when we meet obstacles, we, we try to figure out what we can learn from them. So when you um, encountered that crash in 2008, do you want to kind of just walk us through what happened to your business and then um, how you began to to kind of move forward, fail, fail forward? Yeah. Yeah. So I don't know if you guys have heard of the Ninja Loan. No. no. 
Mutuals, okay. <laughs> That's a really good episode on um, Arrested Development. If you, oh, if you I've search, loved Arrested, yeah. Yeah, if you search Arrested Development, Mutualone, there's a really great episode where they're making fun of the way that banks lend money in 2008. And it was basically Ninja was an acronym for no income, no job, you're approved, or no assets <laughs> or something. <laughs> something along that line. And uh, that's awesome. Tobias goes in to get a loan and he ends up qualifying for like a 10,000 square foot house and he has no job. (laughs) So, and that was happening in 2007. I mean, if you, there was 110% financing, it was, it was, it was real. And I took, I did 110% finance on a construction project. I, I guess it was, you could borrow more money than the value of the lot. You could borrow the whole amount for the whole project and a little extra just in case. And um, wow. we're doing that in draws and that was all working fine. And then I had done 110% finance on a rental property. And so the, the bank would lend you the money for the house plus another 10% to do improvements. And everything was working great as long as the market was going up. So there was, everyone was doing ninja loans in 2007 and you could do a lot of them. Yeah. And, and and they could work out really well for you if the market kept going up. But that's what that's kind of the beginning of um, my big uh, wipeout was from too many ninja loans. And the market turned in 2008 and I still thought we'd be OK. And then we just started uh, hemorrhaging cash. And um, yeah, that's it all. Yeah, I call it a financial reversal, which I'll kind of reference maybe later. And that if if I project forward to what we talk about with clients, I mean, most clients get into debt from a financial reversal, a, a wipeout from business or, you know, a divorce or, or a sickness or something. And, and so for me, I had never carried debt, never carried a penny of credit card debt. It just wasn't me. I'd learned from uh, my parents not to do that, you know, and um, other than a mortgage, don't carry debt. So we, we had no debt. And then suddenly we had a ton and it was all to do with the, uh, <clears throat> I could blame it on the crisis, the financial crisis, or I could blame it on me taking too many ninja loans or the, you know, a bit of both. So usually sp- speaking of wipeouts, Benji, sometimes before a white wipeout, you have like a, a few seconds of like, Oh, I'm, I'm about to, mm-hmm. I'm about to wipe out. And then sometimes you're just going along and you wipe out and it's, you had no notice. And next thing you know, you're, you're head first in the snow with your feet sticking mm-hmm. up in the air. And you're like, where did that come from? What was yours? Was there any warning signs or was it just like, Oh my gosh, where did that come from? It was, I mean, 2008 was pretty sudden. Everybody was in denial. It, it, people are saying, okay, yeah, there's got a bit of a problem in the States. That won't affect Canada. We're, we're, we're above that. And uh, I sort of bought into that, I, but it was too late. I, I had, that, that's the really frustrating thing about real estate. You can't get out quickly. Hmm. And uh, I mean, I'd already bought two houses, destroyed them with a, bo- you know, a, a backhoe, and they were in a rubbish pile, and they were hole in the ground. So it's hard to pull out <laughs> when you're at that point. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I've... I knew the market was bad. I knew this could be a problem and we probably weren't going to make money, but I thought we would lose less money if we completed the project and then um, just sold it. it. But looking back on it, I probably would have lost less money if we had just ditched the project right then and there and walked away. Mm-hmm. So was that effectively the end of that uh, entrepreneurship venture then? Um, basically like ran out of cash. What, what, what were the steps? Did you go bankrupt with that how, how did you uh find yeah, your no, way was, out of it yeah no it was a horrible slow bleed it was not just a sudden <laughs> end <laughs> not like surfing <laughs> yeah. no that's that's the worst part about it it was like a really slow tooth extraction with no anesthetics <laughs> Yikes! so you know first you first you you use line of credit or credit card to kind of help support the real estate projects that are going backwards. They're losing. Well, first you use the real estate financing to support the real estate. And there could be people in this situation right now because of COVID where they have too many Airbnb properties they bought. So the first thing that happens when, when you, your rentals aren't full is you start losing money. So how are you going to pay that? So I used you know, the money from other properties. So we were taking out lines of credit on the other stuff and, and, and feeding it and you, if the market turns around, you're fine. And then once that's used up, then it's, you know, lines of credit, personal lines of credit, and then finally credit cards. So that's a pretty common thing. So it was a very slow bleed. And then you try and sell a property, it sells for less than you bought it for. So then you're on the hook for the shortfall. Add that to the debt and it it adds up real fast. Yeah. That's, That's where the phrase robbing Peter to pay Paul Comes yeah, in. yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yes, yeah. borrowing from Peter to pay Paul, not robbing. That's yeah, no, no, not robbing. Yeah. <laughs> yes, no. borrowing from Peter. Yes, and then they yeah, both that's... go broke. 
Yes. <laughs> so, yeah. So it was it was a really painful, slow bleed, and uh, but I I stumbled around trying that uh, to fix it for a while. Just couldn't. Finally gave up and um, kind of shut that down and took a kind of put my tail between my legs would be how I describe it. Well, and I took a job for a little while and um, just um, yeah. And then I, I through my real estate I, when we I moved to Victoria from. From Calgary, and we did a lot of uh, re- did a lot of a couple deals in real estate here too. And I met this kind of quirky guy in my real estate club, uh, and he owned Four Pillars at the time. And so I had known about him and his debt relief, but I didn't think I needed it because hmm. I figured I would sell my properties and make my millions like I had been planning. <laughs> so, but it didn't happen. So you know, we mentioned <laughs> we mentioned pain a little bit earlier. Benji, so looking back on that financial fall, uh, we'll call it, what was the most painful part for you? The, the, the most painful part is just the slow bleed of like, of the financial reversal is the most painful thing. You're used to a certain lifestyle and um, all of a sudden you're making less money, you're hemorrhaging cash. And um, yeah, that, that is, it's really hard to adjust to the stress of the stress of going backwards is hard to describe. Mm-hmm. You know, if you're used to making a hundred thousand and then you start making 40, that's a, that's a harsh new reality. And um, yeah, we have to be able to do that, adjust for that, but it's, it's hard to plan ahead for what it would feel like, but it wasn't fun. And uh, you start selling everything that you love dearly. Like I remember having to sell part of the dark times of that, at that place, it was quite dark and we were selling everything we had. I remember my wife hunting for cash in all of my suit jackets and stuff oh. and finding some, which was a pretty exciting day. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that was about at max bottom. And then uh, I remember selling dirt bikes. I had four of them when things t- times were hot and then times were cold and we sold all the dirt bikes. That was pretty painful. And then I had a collector's amplifier, guitar amp, that was very dear to me. And that one's not replaceable. So that's hmm. that's hard stuff, like making the harsh choices of selling your things that you like, you know, it's just stuff. It doesn't matter in the end, but it's still, you liked it. And um, adjusting to a new reality, you know, you mm-hmm. can't shop, you can't buy things and you have to cancel plans, cancel trips, reduce your cell phone bill. It's a, I'm glad I had to go through it now because it's good to know that how to make a quick adjustment down in spending. Totally. But it wasn't fun. Yeah. Um, and as, as you're speaking, I'm just thinking about how many people like who were in the oil industry as you were, who have gone through that in the last few years, having to sell mm-hmm. all their stuff. We, Chris Istish, the uh, guest that we had on it quite a while ago now, um, got out of the oil industry and, and still had tons of friends in it and, and were, they were going through that. I mean, it's a very real thing and, and it's, but that doesn't make it any easier just because other people have gone through it before. It doesn't make it any easier for us when we have to go through it. Um, mm-hmm. And and as well with, with COVID and all the disruptions now, obviously there, there's a lot of people that are going to be in, in serious trouble if, if we don't respond quickly. I mean, we're, we're mm-hmm. recording this in, in middle of May, 2020. So we, we haven't really gotten to that point yet. We're kind of still in, um, in, in figuring out what's going to happen, but just before we kind of start talking about that stuff, um, as John was talking about the, the pain that, that you were going through and selling off possessions, and I wonder um, if you recall, because entrepreneurs are, are so involved in, in every part of the business, I mean, we, we kind of are the business, we're, the, we, we're responsible for it, and, and we, um, we believe in it, and we love it, and we take care of it, but when it fails, it's almost like we, part of us fails, and, and there's... Um, part of that that self-concept that that we question do you recall how um you coped with that or or any any resources that you used or or kind of how you got through it um while still uh, maintaining your own um sense of self Mm -hmm. yeah it it definitely and it hurts your self-confidence too oh yeah when you suffer severe financial reversal and um i remember uh not feeling good about doing this but i remember writing out my you know my new goals and having to reset like the millionaire goal was not that was just way up the window the goal was to like 
stop losing money. That was the next goal and um, to, to, to like balance our cash, our budget. And um, I remember making a dream board, you know, what, uh, and kind of feeling weird about clipping things out of newspapers and or uh, magazines and building this dream board of what I would like to accomplish in life and what I'd like to get to. And it just seems so unrealistic. Hmm. Yeah, but, th- but it really helped. I, and I do think like the, um, I wrote, I, I remember writing out every day in my job, sort of my goals. And even if they seemed a bit uh, unattainable, that writing out the goals really helped. I do think it helped. So even though I felt, I, I remember feeling sick to my stomach, like this is impossible. I'm not going to mm-hmm. be able to turn this ship around, but I just, I had been, I had read books on, you know, law of attraction or entrepreneurship, uh, Robert Kiyosaki kind of stuff. And, um, rich dad poor dad and they all kind of say the same thing you know when you have a reversal or a, <clears throat> a crash a failure you have to think of it like a coin where there's two sides there's the failure and then there's the success and they're, they're very closely related totally so i remember thinking well I, I don't understand this stuff it doesn't i don't feel it in here yet but i'm just going to mechanically do it so i do i remember a, a pretty big chunk of time where we mechanically would write out the goals. I would write out my goals and uh, write, make a dream board and um, try to stay positive by thinking about what we could do if we got through this and believing that we could. And then we'd celebrate. I think a really important thing. I don't do it as much anymore, but we'd celebrate if we made a very tiny goal. So if the goal was to like make you know three thousand dollars the next you know next month, if we got that goal, we would go celebrate. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it brings like a bit of positive energy into the dark. Yeah. financial reversal which is like a long slow bleed yeah yeah and, and looking back you mentioned like you were reaching those goals how did those um how did those systems work how did how did the dream board i mean maybe it's not like exactly how your life is now but do you recall um how those resources and, and how those tools ended up uh turning out well or even what are some of the images that you put on the dream board yeah yeah, I mean, I put an image of some kids. On, it's not like I've achieved all these things either yet, but I'm out of the financial reversal, so <laughs> any of them are good. But yeah, I put a picture of kids on there. You know, I have kids now, and a picture of some surf trips and a motorcycle. I haven't replaced the motorcycle yet, but uh, but I have the financial means to replace it if if that was a real priority. Well, and being on a podcast, right? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, <We're, laughs> that's right. We're our faces on the dream board anywhere. That's yeah. yeah. I think I need to update it because I think like a lot of priorities have changed at this point in my life. But totally, and yeah. That... Did I meet all those? No, but did, did yeah. it? Did it? Did I meet some of them? Yes, and I think it made a, a huge difference because you you can either like wallow in the horror of oh, a sure. financial reversal, or you can like start making little tiny steps. I I, I presume it's kind of like I you know I add addiction theory. I've never been through that, but like little tiny steps start making positive changes, start going in the right direction. And if you just sit around and, and are miserable all day long about how horrible your scenario is, you can't get out. Yeah. And um, so, and, and I think we're, we're with COVID, we're going to have a lot of businesses and business owners go through financial reversals right now. And that, that is probably the best lesson I learned is like, when you hit the rock bottom, you got to find something to give you hope, you know? And, um, and um, yeah, totally. So I, I basically wrote out what I had hope in and started with that. That's awesome. And yeah, definitely something that, that people can use right out what you had hoping. That's, that's, um, that's a great practice. And the thing with goals, I was going to say is that even if you don't achieve all of them, the process of working towards them with that positivity is going to be extremely beneficial. I mean, you're going to, it might not go in exactly the direction, like it's dream boards aren't magical. They, they, you can't just (laughs) cut out magazine pictures and put them up and, and, and instantly achieve them or, or achieve them in five years even, but it gives you something to work towards. And, and there's a, a lot of power in that. And, and um, it's, it's a, it's certainly a, an effective practice to, to set the bar yeah. somewhere high that that's meaningful and, and start working towards it. And, and you'll probably end up somewhere else, but it'll probably be somewhere better off than if you hadn't have done that in the first place. Well, and it's even just the visual of literally taking your mind off what you're focused on and putting it on something else. Right, because when we hit rock bottom, it's easy to just all we're focused on is just the dread we feel, the, the how much we feel like we're a failure, the regret, the anxiety, the anger, um, just just all those negative feelings. But we have to mm-hmm. almost, you know, the dream board is just to me is just like looking looking up from all that and looking towards mm-hmm. what can be perhaps in the future and moving forward. And and 
you know, it's easy to be stuck in that looking down and being trapped in that mindset and ideology, but it's almost like creating a new one, right? And mm-hmm. and then just believing in that new one. Uh, and that's, yeah, that's it, tough work. <laughs> and I think like the, the very interesting thing about failure is uh, if you can uh, handle the stress of it, it quite often is your next opportunity inside the failure is the next opportunity. Yeah. I mean, if I was building houses again, I, I'm not really doing that right now. But I mean, the best lesson I learned was don't build the most fanciest house in a kind of an older up and coming area. <laughs> you know, right. the, the lesson I learned was build the average house buy the worst house in a good area and bring it up to average and you'll always do better. And, uh, and yeah, they're, they're, and basically stumbling into four pillars, helping people get out of debt. I would, I'd never heard of debt relief. I'd never heard of proposals or bankruptcy. I mean, I never carried a penny of credit card debt until I had a complete um, reversal of bit in business revenue. And uh, then I found out what this was. So that, you know, my introduction to four pillars came in out, out of a failure. So out of a failure was my next opportunity. Yeah. And I, I love that uh, idea. And just a quick thing about what I, my business is going through currently. And, and I, Benji, I don't think you know any, any of this at all, but um, no. I operate a, a mobile bartending business for events. And, and we've got, we've, we've had the last two years had been extremely successful. We've, we've, we just built our third bar that we take around to events and we do amazing cocktails and it's been a, a really a fun ride and, and, a, and a cool business. And then COVID struck and obviously yeah. like we, we basically have no events for the rest of 2020. We, we've went from what was projected to be a huge year and uh, easily our best year yet to, to not really having anything. And mm-hmm. what, we decided to do just kind of on a whim just to do something and, and even just to kind of help out some of our friends who were also hurting in the events industry was take them um, our cocktail mixes that that we had some of our recipes that we'd used before that people really liked and, and just kind of jarred it up and um, took people little cocktail care packages and and all of a sudden we started doing that and then they were telling their friends and posting about it on social media and and now just a couple months later we um we have a, a pretty busy, like successful cocktail mix delivery service that hopefully and probably is, is going to be just another revenue stream for our business once events start going again. So like mm-hmm. what what has been our, our by far hugest obstacle um, has also uh, has in turn surprisingly turned out to be a, a pretty good opportunity. So it just as soon as you were talking about that idea of of you know flipping the coin over and, and finding the opportunity in the failure um, that definitely came to mind and and uh, it it's it doesn't make the failure not a failure like there's <laughs> there's still negative things happening or hurt or pain or loss totally but um, when we can find the opportunity in there it it's um it it can be a big piece of learning. <laughs> it is pretty. I, I think a lot of people are going to have to look at relook at their entire business. I mean, there's already some good things coming out of COVID that, uh, from, from this whole, whole horrible thing, and that is people are realizing they can work from home. And they didn't. I, I didn't think I could work from home. I didn't think anybody would trust that I could help them out of their financial mess, you know, with a Zoom meeting. But so far, it's working pretty good. And so, you know, if uh, if a staff member is sick now, uh, their kid's sick, they can stay home. They can work. And they don't have to take a sick day. They can work from home. And I think a lot of people are realizing that they can actually, like you did, you make an adjustment and make it work. And uh, it's, it's just opening up whole new opportunities people never had before. Maybe the opportunity to drive less to work, less traffic, less pollution. Uh, yeah. Some awesome ripple effects for sure. And, and you know, not, and again, not to take away from, from some really negative things that are happening, but no. um, when we can find opportunities we're, we're better off for them. Um, I wonder if, if we could speak a little bit to your experience um, being a debt relief specialist. And, and I know we're not going to talk about specific instances, but but maybe um, a way in there is for businesses who are facing some challenges in COVID, what are some things that people can do to avoid um, getting into a, a position of potential bankruptcy, um, mm-hmm. you know, well, well before they, they might be in that place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. First off, I would like to say that bankruptcy is, 
is always a last option. And a lot of people don't realize there's many kind of like uh, debt solutions that still reduce the debt in between, you know, things were working perfect and things are bankrupt. You know, there's, there's in between, but we'll get back to that maybe later, but um, yeah. What was the question? Sorry. <laughs> yeah. What, what can, uh, what can people in, in business do um, oh, yeah. now b- before it gets to a place of kind of hitting the, the big red button? Okay, good. Yeah. Make some, you got to make really quick decisions and maybe, you know, set the ego aside and do the things that are hard, but do them right now. So for example, maybe now's, you know, a good time to downgrade your car. Maybe now's a good time to get rid of, you got to cut expenses is what I'm trying to say quickly. So, uh, you know, some people have had to do layoffs, which is unfortunate. Some people have to, um, you know, they need to downgrade their lifestyle as it, as quickly as possible. I mean, the things I did right away, just in case, you know, we have a downturn ourselves is like quickly, we got canceled the cleaner. We don't need a cleaner all working from home. We canceled the, um, any computer tech. I didn't really need one. Everybody's working on a laptop at home anyways. And just wherever we could cut expenses, my example is not great, but they're in, everybody knows their own business. They got to make quick adjustments like you did, you know, brainstorm quickly. How can we make cuts? I mean, it's, you got to, make cuts fast the faster you make cuts the less you'll bleed yeah. uh, the heart the most harshest cut i remember making is i was driving in a brand new truck and it was like worth like 40 grand or 50 grand or something and i remember when we went through our financial reversal i couldn't i just had to admit i couldn't afford the truck it just wasn't in my it wasn't possible anymore or if it was i was faking it by keeping that truck <laughs> and i went from like this forty-five thousand dollar truck which, and the payment was a thousand a month, and I gave that back to the bank, and I took a, a one thousand dollars that I didn't pay to the bank, and I bought a thousand dollar car. <laughs> it was like this old Honda Civic that was red, <laughs> nice. and my wife called it the chicken pock <laughs> because it had all these <clears throat> these red rust marks all over it. Nice. That was a hard one to explain to friends. I went from this forty five thousand dollar truck or whatever it was worth to this chicken pock. <laughs> Yeah, you make the best of it. So we all have to. Uh, I'm glad I did. I stopped the bleeding of a thousand dollars a month. So people have to make those tough choices. Totally. But and the good news is, you make some quick adjustments, and you get your. You can much easier get through a crisis. Yeah, and and really, like, what's more important, like going the the huge stress of of overwhelming debt like, that's continually getting worse, or like driving a vehicle that I mean, I I. <laughs> Mm-hmm. this isn't maybe going to sit with a lot of people, but cars are really just about ego and status. Oh yeah. Like it's, yeah. it's, it's, it's an ego scratcher. Oh, for sure. The cars are their Their only purpose is to get from one place to another quickly. So like, sure. Maybe a truck helps you like take a heavy load somewhere and there's value in that. But, but really it's um, the, the fancy car is just about ego and, and, um, and that doesn't always uh, make us actually happy. No. I don't think it ever does. <laughs> well, and, and that's that's the hardest part of what you spoke about earlier, Benji. And, and you didn't use the phrase, but you, you were talking about really giving up the standard of living. Right. And, and we all get attached to a standard of living. Um, and when you have to give that up and give up those fancy dinners and that $40,000 truck, our ego is attached to that. And we feel the pain of the loss of our ego. I mean, it's really not the, the pain of, of those things, because like, like you said, it's just a truck. I mean, you can still get from point A to point B in a in a chicken pockmark, you know, car, you know. Yeah, but uh, but but it's just that attachment, that that thing that gave us identity or that thing that said we're this. Um, and so it's really as long as we can get over ourselves, then then we can find mm-hmm. we can save a lot of money, actually. Mm-hmm. And survive. Yeah, it's interesting. The, the excuses people make and I make are interesting. Like I need a good vehicle because I have young kids and they have to be safe. It's interesting because like most of the used cars still have airbags and anti-lock brakes. They're pretty safe. And and, uh, we all grew up in cars. I'm not suggesting don't wear seatbelts, but we all probably grew up in cars with, you know, not wearing our seatbelt and no car seat and uh, laying. I remember laying in the back of the van from all the way from Saskatchewan to British Columbia. Me too. Me too. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And and you know, you know, what's not good for kids is, parents that are stressed the fuck out and, and you know yeah, for sure like, 
and, and, sure. and, and they're broke and treating their children <laughs> yeah. horribly yeah. as a result yeah. of it. Yeah, yeah because we have to have a BMW because it's the, oh, sorry, no offense <laughs> to BMW owners, but uh, we have to have this luxury car to be safe. No, you don't. You, you can drive safer. You can, you know, a Honda will be perfectly fine. A used one with airbags, but um, yeah, chicken pock had no airbags. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Maybe it wasn't the safest. <laughs> Cool. I don't think airbags make kids safer. That's a different discussion. That's um, probably true. Anti-lock brakes, sure, yeah. Yes. Yeah, so what I hear. Yeah. So, so I mean, my point was that you yeah. got to check yourself and ask yourself, what, what am I justifying? You know, why do I need this vehicle? Okay. Well, is it possible to meet my? What's a need? What's a want? That's a, that's a good exercise to go through when you're in a financial reversal. What's a need? What's a want? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Do and I just, need the luxury truck? No, I don't. I can get by with the car. Yeah. And just being lean as a business, I think. And and yeah. being lean as a business and as a, a person, I mean, if, if you can practice those habits, I mean, it's maybe not the right time now because we're in the middle of a, a crisis. But if we can practice those habits of being being lean and, and cutting our expenses down just in in general, um, then, then we're going to be a lot better suited when when mm-hmm. things go poorly. Were, we, were you going to queue up the Warren Buffett expression of um, when you... When the tide goes out, you find out who's been swimming naked. Yeah, that- yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I use that one all the time. Yeah, it's a good <laughs> that, one. That's exactly what happens when... Yeah, so I, I, I do want to say, like, our clients are good, smart people. And that this is one thing that drives me really crazy in my business is when I see the comments on social media, but, oh, you, you're stupid, you got debt, you know, you obviously can't manage your money. And, uh, you know, I'm, I'm so great. I manage my money well. I don't have debt. I would say the vast majority of my debt clients are very smart people, maybe smarter than me. They're dentists, uh, I've had doctors, I've had lawyers. They got into a financial reversal and nobody's above that. I I think if I could make one message today is that no one's above a financial reversal. And um, Mm -hmm. the odds are you're gonna have at least one in your lifetime. No matter how good you think you are organized, you're gonna have one most likely. And um, you can't predict ahead of time what your health is gonna look like, you know, and so, you can uh, most of our clients get hit with something like divorce job loss uh health problem that's the number one cause of a financial reversal or a complete world crisis yeah world crisis job loss divorce uh you know that these are the things that create a financial reversal and on top of that they had maybe been stretching themselves too thin Mm -hmm. so um yeah you can't avoid the crisis necessarily but if you run a little leaner, you can get through a crisis a lot easier. So this is where most people get caught into debt is they just didn't have a good backup plan. And then they got hit with the crisis. They got hit with Murphy and they weren't planned. They hadn't planned for Murphy, but Murphy comes along. And if you plan for Murphy, Murphy doesn't come along. It seems like. And what are some ways, I mean, you talked about going lean, any, anything else that people can use like right now to, to plan for Murphy? Yeah, and, and and to connect it to Andrew's question was was your very practical tip of of making a list of needs and wants, um, and, and that that's maybe where the rubber meets the road. And it occurred to me that perhaps um, the person to make that list shouldn't be the same person that made you have to do the list. Like, don't trust yourself, right? Because you're going to be like, well, this is actually a need of mine. So, but having someone like Benji or a financial planner or an accountant or somebody who's not emotionally connected to all the wants, who can just look at it and Mm -hmm. be like, well, no, that's obviously not a need. You don't need that. Mm -hmm. Um, I was just thinking maybe that could be helpful is to have that. Because, you know, you don't always trust ourselves to to be able to distinguish (laughs) between the two. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, here's the steps. If you find yourself in a financial reversal right now, the step one is assess needs and wants. Step two is assess your, uh, where's the money going? Like, how, how are you bleeding out this money? And most people don't even know. They say, yeah, yeah, I know my budget, it's $800 for rent and it's this and that. But um, literally get out a piece of paper, get out the bank records and the credit card statements and write out how much you spent on food, how much you spent on coffee. Oh, yeah. Just a little less this month. But um, yeah. <clears throat> yeah, that's my starting place for a financial reversal for all of our clients is figure out um, your base. Yeah. What is your base cost? And, and then actually write out what where you spent all your money last month and categorize it into categories of spending type. And, and it's fascinating what you'll see. Everybody has some ridiculous holes in their budget, including myself. And you don't um, you can't fix what you don't see. 
Well, and I know you know about all these, Benji, but there's a lot of annoying apps out there. And I say annoying mm-hmm. sort of tongue-in-cheek. Like Mint is probably the most common one. They actually mm-hmm. send you texts if you go over your budget. Hmm. <laughs> and they say, oh, you've gone you know, $800 over your budget for this. Are, and, and Are they disparaging? Are they like, you idiot, you <laughs> yeah. did it again. <laughs> you could probably choose that setting, actually. <laughs> yeah, is there an insult setting? <laughs> <laughs> they should be, hey, dumbass. <laughs> what are you doing? Idiot. <laughs> you can't or just you can't afford this coffee you're about to buy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you're out shopping again. I know. I, I can tell from Google Maps. <laughs> yeah. That's, that, that's, that'd be handy. Yeah, that's phase two. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. I don't know if it'll work. Uh, <laughs> I don't like the apps myself. I think uh there's a lot more power in a piece of paper and right out where you gotcha. The apps are too yeah. easy. It's just like, yeah, yeah, there's a graph, cool. All right. Bit of green, a bit of blue. I spent some on food, gas, and whatever. Good. Mm-hmm. I, it doesn't work. Yeah. Okay. True. If, it, if you got your budget balanced and you're in the cash positive and you can make all your payments and you're saving money every month and investing, cool. You don't need to do this exercise. You can use an app and you don't need to listen to me at all. <laughs> but if you're losing money going backwards or you have debt or you find yourself in a, one of these precarious financial scenarios, you have to do it. You got to write out, where's my money going? How much I spent? Am I spending on everything? And I would not use an app. I would use a piece of paper. Okay, cool. And I mean, that that's a great uh, illustration as well. And one of the things I was thinking earlier is like, how do people know um, that it's time to, to look? And I think you, you kind of just explained it right there. So um, that's super helpful. And, and we are kind of running short on time here. So maybe um, one final question I had um, was about mindset, because I think mindset, we've, we've kind of been talking about it generally without really using that term but mindset is so key in in really all things Um, but when when it comes to finances for sure and so maybe my last question um what what is something what is a an effective mindset strategy that you might be telling clients now or that might have been useful um for you back back in the um, time when you were going through your own financial challenges yeah, <clears throat> I think the sooner that you uh, take a, take action, the better. I think that was probably my one of my another mistake after the mistake of over leveraging too many ninja loans and uh, just kind of putting, <laughs> taking too much risk is I didn't act soon enough on getting help with my debt. So I, I knew this guy from my real estate club. I knew he did debt help. I asked around a bit. He, you know, I heard good things about him. He's a little interesting, you know, he, but uh, he, he knows what he's doing. And um, yeah, I, I just waited way too long and I stuck my head in the sand and I didn't think I needed help. I could fix it myself. And, and I ended up hemorrhaging so much more. If I had reached out way sooner to this guy, uh, he, he ended up fixing everything for me. No bankruptcy, able to make arrangements with all the creditors and um, just move on with life. And we could have done that sooner. I could have saved more money. I wouldn't have lost my precious guitar amplifier that I can't replace, (laughs) (laughs) which is obviously still haunting me. (laughs) Sounds very, very materialistic and shallow, but it's a nice guitar amp. I mean, it had value and, and we, yeah, not all things are, are hollow, right? Like there, there is value in things and and we do have connections. Yeah. It just, it was with me all university and a bunch of bands that I was in and I just didn't want to sell it. But so my point is if I had acted sooner, there's help out there. there. There's programs to deal with debt with no bankruptcy. And we, we just didn't take action on it soon enough. So once we did, it's not the end of the story. We did. It fixed it. We you know, made our turnaround, stop losing money. It's kind of the first step to fixing a financial mess is stop, lose, stop going backwards and fix the debt problem first. And then just started rebuilding from there. And I guess that's my, um, that answer your question. That's my message to people is the, the sooner you just get honest about where you're really at, the, the better. I mean, it's just, uh, it's just you want to know your options. And I think if you bury your head in the sand and think you'll be fine when you're losing money and going backwards, it's um, that's going to hurt you more later. Well, it's- and Benji, uh, we, we had we had Riot Brewing on um, about two months ago, and, and that was I, I think I think it's worth pointing out that. Um, so Riot Brewing, um, they were they were kicking ass. I mean, they were selling beer. Their beer was wanted all over the world. They were getting requests everywhere from Korea, everything. They could not keep up with the demand. And that's ultimately what led to their demise. And, and once again, folks, if you haven't heard that episode, it is a very good cautionary tale to um, mm-hmm. that, that, you know, getting in trouble financially 
is especially with businesses often seems to almost be more they, they they had too much of a good thing and they didn't scale properly it wasn't that their sales were down and so mm-hmm. so they got into trouble if anything it was the opposite and mm-hmm. you know i've experienced that in some ways with lush as well i did i, I did not scale lush properly uh, if you would have told me five years ago that that you know my, my growth dub, you know doubling from one year to the next wasn't sustainable, I would have been like, "Are you kidding? This is great! You know, I'm getting tons of sales." But but you know, f- for me, luckily, I was able to catch it before I ended up in a very vulnerable position. But but I think a mm-hmm. lot of businesses think just because they're like you know they're they're up fifty percent in sales or or even doubling that they're they're not vulnerable to this. They might even be more vulnerable. So, so it's just, it's just a cautionary tale of being careful of having too much of a good thing and scaling appropriately. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's good. It's specific to business. I mean, um, I help a lot of businesses out of debt too. And that, that is, I'd say the most common thing that causes the debt issue besides what you said there is bad accounting, sort of, sort of delayed accounting. Uh, you know, the traditional accountants that we have mostly around here are, they do your year end you know, six months after you, right. you're in, you're in and you find out, okay, cool. All right. I, I owe 20 grand here, 10 grand there, right. five grand there. Okay. I'll start working on that. There's, yeah. <laughs> there's no like uh, you know, monthly report like this yeah. month I did this much in sales, this much in cost. And I, this is my looming problem there. And it's, it's up to the entrepreneur to kind of project forward and, and sort of predict uh, what you need to do that if you need to cut costs or increase costs on some things and you can't do that when you're working off of accounting from last year a year and a half ago yeah you have a great and, uh, great expression benji about driving while looking in the rearview mirror the whole yes. time you yeah. know it, it's that's that's what that accounting is yeah, yeah. and this comes I, i'm not speaking like i have it all figured out this comes from my own pain of constantly <laughs> being like my books are back there and i'm trying to decide things here it's really only recently i've got all the systems in place to get the numbers quite current, very current. So I can look at last month, what exactly happened last month. And that would be my um, encouragement to any entrepreneurs up there is uh, try to get your accountant or your bookkeeper to give you a monthly report on, you know, what is going on in my business. And then if you don't get that, um, you could be creating a big mess. And like you say, you could be growing really fast. So you think your, your top line is great, but um, you're, you're, you're making a big giant mess. The, the bigger the revenue, the bigger the potential mess later yeah for sure yeah especially if that revenue dries up unexpectedly yes exactly because now your rent's 30 grand instead of 10 grand yeah and yeah Uh, hello 2020 let's let's, uh maybe try to end on a more positive (laughs) note (laughs) with hello 2020 (laughs) yeah yeah Um, Yeah, this is a tough year man this is a really tough year for so many people it's it's like it's almost like nobody is immune to this effect here except for walmart and home depot which yeah. seem to <laughs> yeah, yeah for sure yeah but the the reality is and, and what we can take from this whole conversation is that it's not all doom and gloom there are options no. out there totally. i mean that that's what four pillars is and and there's there's ways of um as we spoke about today of, of getting leaner making tough decisions making them now um, and, and avoiding more pain down the road. And, mm-hmm. and I think that's, um, yeah, that's a, a great takeaway. There is opportunity in failure and in challenges. And um, we just sometimes need to grit our teeth a little bit and, and make the tough decision. But it, it's going to be a, a choice that serves us well down the road. Yeah. Yeah. I'll, I'll share like one really positive thing. People come into our office really down, feeling beating themselves up typically feeling messed up and just, you know, feeling hopeless. I see it all the time. And it's through a, a pretty simple transaction, a couple adjustments to the budget and some solutions for the debt and a little bit of a plan to fix up their credit. They leave. I mean, it's life changing for people. And I, I've seen people come in. This is a bit extreme, but we have had clients that have been on the borderline of suicidal and, you know, and then they realize, wow, I can actually fix this. This is it's like a matter of a couple months and my whole entire financial projection could be turned around. I could be 180 degrees from the way I'm right now. And it, wow, it has a huge effect on the rest of their psyche. And so I think that don't downplay how much carrying debt affects your, your, your psychology. Like it, it is really important to deal with it and there's no shame in dealing with it. And you know, we make people feel good and get them. It's just fixing the problem. You fix the problem, 
man, the little other things are going to start to fall into place. So, well, you, that's my message: is you can fix stuff, and the sooner you fix it, the better. Well, and, and Benji, you used the word at the beginning of just relief. You offer debt relief, and just the word relief. You know, mm-hmm. you, you have somebody coming in who's just really, really feels hopeless. Feels like they failed. Maybe even failed their family. Maybe there's mm-hmm. no way out. And you, and you're able to say, well, have you looked at it from this angle? There actually there actually is a way through this. And, and that mm-hmm. relief they feel um, is probably you know for for you, for those of you listening, if you're feeling that weight right now and you're feeling the hopelessness, um, four pillars could be a great opportunity to to show you some relief and a way through your your situation. Totally. Yeah, I would just say check into your options. Just find out. There's no harm in finding out, talking even other. Just check out all of your options for getting out of debt. For just sure. by knowing your options, it takes away a lot of the stress. You don't have to don't have to take action on an option right now, uh, or forever. But by knowing them, it's like you you know what's worst case scenario. What's my what's my middle option? What's bankruptcy looks like? What's the four pillars kind of help look like? What does other companies do? You know, if you know your options, that right there removes a lot of stress. For sure, totally. Well. I think it's time to wrap up here, unfortunately. Uh, but Benji, I just want to say um, thank you for your time. It, this was an awesome conversation, a ton of fun. Um, thanks, guys. And, and thanks for the work that you do because you, you obviously care and, and it's coming from a place of, of wanting to help people um, do, you know, be okay with, with the, the challenges that you once faced as well. And, and now you're, you're working alongside them and, and helping people overcome their 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 own struggles and it, it's um it's it's very important and and uh kudos to you for for doing that awesome thanks guys for having me on it was fun yeah absolutely. yeah man avoid, stay away from ninja loans <laughs> yeah <laughs> but don't stay away from arrested development that's the funniest show that's right of, of yeah and old cars can be old cars can be cool they have their own quirky fun <laughs> yeah and and pulp fiction always worth a rewatch as well sometimes you gotta call yeah. the wolf and not everyone who drives a luxury car is a a-hole, but every a-hole drives a luxury car. Oh, there it is. <laughs> Edit that out. <laughs> no, that's, we'll see. that's we'll cool. See. Okay. Thanks a lot, Benji. <laughs> Thanks, Benji. Cool. Thanks, guys. And that's the episode. Thanks for listening, everybody. If you'd like to continue the conversation, you can find us at all the usual places. Obstaclecoursepodcast.com. We're very active on social media, Instagram and Facebook at Obstacle Course Podcast. And speaking of Facebook, we have a great new growing community called the Obstacle Course Community that you can join, dialogue with Andrew and I and your fellow listeners about the previous week's episode and any obstacles you're dealing with. And we do appreciate reviews, whether it's on iTunes, Google, Facebook, whatever. It helps people find the podcast. And it has nothing to do with our fragile eagles. Well... Uh, you know, we just like to hear back from great people just like yourselves. Thanks for listening, everybody. Keep pushing through those obstacles.